Now, what I want to do to start our series uh, in Jonah, I want to just walk through the whole story. Okay? It's, not, it's not an extremely long story. It, it just covers two pages in Scripture. And if you do not have a Bible, please grab a Bible from the seat back in front of you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which is one of the black hardback Bibles. We're on page 774 uh, in the book of Jonah. But let me walk through the book of Jonah. Um, many of us hope, probably know this story, even if you didn't grow up in Christianity, didn't grow up in, in a church setting, didn't grow up hearing God's Word. You, you've probably heard the story of the dude that was swallowed by fish. Well, this is Jonah, and so we're going to talk about that. But let me kind of just walk through and tell you each of the four chapters, and we're going to, that way we can have a context for the whole story as we walk through this in the coming weeks together. Jonah chapter 1, the Word of God comes to Jonah. I'm not reading it, I'm just going to tell it, and then we'll dive in and read our passage um, Jonah, the word of God comes to Jonah, who is a prophet, and he tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was not a Jewish city. They were uh, uh, a city, the second largest city in the Assyrian Empire. And Jonah is told to go to Nineveh, and he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. So he goes the opposite direction. And because of him going the opposite direction, God brings a storm. He's on a boat. God brings a storm. And that eventually leads to him being thrown overboard. Uh, which what he thought would be his subsequent death. Eventually, he is swallowed by a big fish. At the end of chapter 1, ends with him being swallowed by a fish. Now, if I was creating a TV show, um, this would be an incredible first episode. Like, it just ends with the swallowing of a fish. Like, this is a pretty big cliffhanger. Well, this is how chapter 1 ends with this cliffhanger. Chapter 2 is Jonah speaking and singing, if you will, or writing to God. He probably wasn't writing in the moment. He was in the belly of a fish, but he would eventually go on to write chapter 2 of his confession of his rebellion against God. Chapter 2 ends with him being spit out of the fish's mouth. Now, let me speak to this for a second, because you've got to be asking this question, do we really believe this happened? Because in our enlightened culture, come on, we don't really believe this fairy tale, if you will, this mythology and, and some would argue for a lot of reasons that this isn't, that this is just a metaphorical writing that someone writes, that none of this has really actually happened. But we actually believe this is a historical event, and we will teach it as such. And if we think about, come on, how do you really believe a, a guy was eaten by fish and uh, was spit out uh, three days later? Let me give two answers to that. First, this is Param's passage. We'll let him unpack that in a few weeks. But then second... Um, it is kind of funny. I put this, Prom's going to preach this. The second time he ever preaches is going to be on this. And so he gets Jonah chapter 2 in uh, four weeks, four or five weeks' time, we'll be there. Um, and so, uh, so Prom will answer that more specifically. But second, if we really believe God created everything, it's really not that hard to believe that God could allow this to happen. And so as crazy of a miracle as it sounds, yeah, we really believe this happens. That, we, that if God can speak something out of nothing and he can create all things as we believe Genesis 1 and 2 share with us, then it's really not that hard for us to believe this. If we believe that God can raise his son from the dead, then it's really not that hard for us to believe this either, right? And so, yes, we literally believe this happened. Um, and so that's chapter 2, ends with him being spit out. He then, uh, chapter 3, we'll, we'll unpack this more when we get there, but you'll see that chapter 3 is pretty much an exact replica of chapter 1. Chapter 1 begins with the Word of God coming to Jonah. Chapter 3 begins with the Word of God coming to Jonah, telling him the exact same thing. And this time he is obedient to God's command. He goes to Nineveh, a massive city, and he, and he speaks and calls them to repentance. If they don't repent, God's judgment is going to come upon them. Well, they repent. 
and God's judgment and wrath uh, is held back. And Jonah chapter 4 is, Jonah's not really happy about it. And we see Jonah have a little pity party, which we'll talk about and unpack. But Jonah 4 is, is he went and preached repentance in Jonah 3, but he wasn't really happy about it. And we see that in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah is such an incredible story. Um, it's a Hollywood-type story because it has all the action and it has enemies. It has all these things. But it's also an incredible story to us and how it speaks to us and how it can encourage us. And so we want to take the time and study this together. But let me, before we get still even into our specific passage, as we are thinking about the overview of Jonah, let me give you kind of four things we're going to see consistently um, that Jonah is going to teach us. The first one is that we see this clear message to Israel that God is concerned about Gentile people. Now, Gentiles are all nations other than Israel. So we see clearly God teaching to the Israelites, because this is specific context, Jonah, an Israelite prophet, a Jewish prophet, that we see clearly God's um, desire and message for the Gentiles. This is good news for us, because most of us in the room are Gentiles. Most of us are not of Israel descent, and therefore, this is a positive message that in the Old Testament, we clearly see this in the New Testament all the time, but we see this in the Old Testament as well, God's apparent message um, that his desire has a message for the Gentile people. Second, we see that the book demonstrates the sovereignty of God in accomplishing his purposes. That even when uh, Jonah tries to run against God, we see this, that God's sovereign over, he's sovereign over creation, he's sovereign over fish, he's sovereign over all things, and he will fulfill his purpose. This is a great encouragement to us as well, that God is sovereign and he will fulfill his plan that he intends to fulfill. Third, we see a response of Gentiles that served as a message of rebuke to God's sinful nation Israel. Both in chapter 1 and chapter 3, we're going to see Gentiles who are, who are not God's covenant people at the time act more honorably to God than Jonah the prophet. And so Jonah serves as a rebuke to those that are in the covenant people. Uh, next week, Pastor Andy's going to unpack this truth greatly and as we look and see how those who aren't of God's covenant, often give a rebuke to those who are in God's covenant, and they often act more honorable than those who actually have God's covenant. This will serve as a, as a encouragement and a, maybe a strong rebuke to us as the church even today, but Pastor Andy will talk about that next week. Fourth thing we see is Jonah was a symbol to Israel of her disobedience to God and indifference to the religious uh, uh, situation of other nations, and we'll unpack that truth a little bit more today. So as we jump into Jonah, let me read Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, which will be our passage, and then we'll jump into our message for today. If you're with me this afternoon, would you just say amen? Everybody good? Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had, 
had lain down and was fast asleep. Let's look at the two main kind of characters in the story. First Jonah and then Nineveh. Let me give some context and a background to Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. He was a prophet and we see him talked about in 2 Kings chapter 14. This is one of the reasons, the reference to, uh, well, pause for a second, the question of did this actually happen or is Jonah a historical book giving us, even though it's a prophet, giving us historical information or is it just a metaphorical message in historical terms? Which is it? Well, one of the reasons why I would argue it's actual historical message that really happened is because Jonah was a real person, referenced in 2 Kings, and Jesus refers to Jonah as a real person as well. But in 2 Kings, we find out about Jonah in verses, uh, 2 Kings 14, verses 23 through 25 says this, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, the king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. I'm giving historical reference to and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did, not depart from, uh, he did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. And he's talking about the king. He restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-hafer. So we see Jonah, a very real prophet, who was prophesying even to, in the midst of an evil king, of what that king would do in the positive. And so here we have an evil king who God would eventually bring his wrath down on the king and the Israelite people because of their evilness. But even amidst that, Jonah is a prophet speaking, and God used him to give a, actually a good word. At this time, there's off, there are other prophets that we see um, that are that are in the gospel, or excuse me, that are in the Bible, that are giving negative words. But Jonah actually here gives a positive word of the Lord that even amidst the evil king, that the borders of Israel will grow. You know, right? this is this is the idea of prosperity. This is the idea of positive. And so we see Jonah was a real prophet, and because even that he gave positive words to the nation, he was very nationalistic, which we'll come back to. That he was for the nation of Israel. Not that the other prophets weren't for the nation of Israel, but he actually, God gave words of positive prophecy through Jonah to Israel, even amidst their evil. So he's a nationalistic prophet that was uh, for his country. Nineveh, on the other hand, was wicked and was the enemy. All right, we understand that this, these events probably happened somewhere between 780 B.C. and 750 B.C. We can hone that in a little bit, but just giving you the time frame, that's important because in 722 B.C., so somewhere from 30 to 50 years after the events of Jonah, actually Assyria would come and conquer Israel. So Jonah is of Israel, that Nineveh and the, Syria, the Syrian empire are the enemies. He's telling, God's telling Jonah to go to the enemy and preach repentance to them. Now, we'll, we'll, this is an issue for a lot of reasons, but I'll come to that. Let me just continue telling us a little bit about Nineveh before I, I talk about more about that being a problem. Archaeology confirms the biblical witness of the wickedness of the Assyrians. They were well known in the ancient world for brutality and cruelty. They were accustomed from tearing off lips and hands of victims. Specifically, what they would do, what they're known for, is that when they would conquer a people... The last thing they would do before they would, uh, uh, before they would kill everybody is they would cut off all four, or excuse me, three of the four limbs, leaving just one hand to kind of wave 
goodbye and wave mercy to before they eventually would die. Like they tortured their victims before they died. They would often flay their victims open while still alive and collect skulls as kind of uh, victor's crowns, if you will. So the point is, Nineveh is extremely wicked, and archaeology proves these things, not only what the Bible says, but then we understand that, once again, this is the enemy of Israel and the enemy of Jonah. So as we come to this, I want if you've got a handout, one of the many sheets that are in your bulletin today, there's three truths that we want to see from this passage and walk away with as we think about all that can be learned from this. The first thing we see is that we are to extend God's mercy to the nations. Read with me again, Jonah 1 and following. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that the great city and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God is not denying the evil of the Ninevite city. He's not denying the evil of the Assyrian Empire. He's not denying those things. It's actually the fact that those things are true, that he is calling Jonah, a prophet of the Lord, to go and preach mercy. Go and preach repentance. That if you turn from your sin, if you turn from evil, you can receive the mercy of God. This is an incredible truth for us. Let's just pause and we think, how, how are we applying this to us? Let us just rest in the truth that we are to extend God's mercies to the nations because God has extended His mercy to us already. See the beauty of this? That, that God is in, the, in desire of sending out His mercy to all nations, even our greatest enemy, even the greatest enemy of His covenant people, the Israelite people. He understands God's sovereign. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what is happening with His people. But yet he's, His desire is, as He made His covenant with His people, is to extend that covenant and that love and mercy to all nations. I want us to take just a quick history and a quick run through a few passages in the Old Testament so we can see this truth. In Genesis chapter 17, 15, 17, when God is making His covenant with Abram, which would eventually we know as Abraham. When he was making his covenant with Abraham, he says to him in Genesis chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. I want you all to see at the core of the covenant of the Old Testament was understanding that God goes, hey, I want to bless all nations, but I'm going to bless all nations through a people that I have covenant with, and it's through their blessings that the nations will be blessed. So at the core of his covenant with Abraham, that as I make a covenant between you, that I may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. From the very beginning, God's covenant with Abraham was focused on the nations. Haggai 2.7 says this, And I will shake all nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 45, verse 22 Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. Zephaniah 3.9, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. 
that, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. He's talking about the changing of speech to a pure speech, talking about salvation of nations so that all people of all nations, as they turn to Him and are saved and are purified, that they may call upon Him. Malachi 1.11, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among all nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, worship, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. Isaiah 66, and I will set a sign among them. And from them, I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, to Pool, to Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. They shall declare my glory amongst the nations. See this? And I'm just giving, a, just giving us a tasting of where we see, even in the Old Testament, God focused on the nations. Zechariah chapter 9, which we read just a few weeks ago in, in Christ's triumphant entry, says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. And lastly, the verse that we read at the beginning in our call to worship, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on all the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. One of the first truths in this overall truth that we can see in Jonah, but for us at the very beginning of Jonah, is that we see God having a desire for the nations and we are called to extend God's mercy to the nations. God was calling out Jonah, which is the first and unique time that we see in the Old Testament a prophet actually being called to the nations. Now we see other prophets speaking to nations and having short uh, ministries to the nations, but Jonah is actually called to go to the nations. He was called to go to them, to love them, and extend God's mercy. In the same way, this is a beautiful picture here of what we know in the New Testament as Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. They even start the same in the sense of arise and go. In the Great Commission, it says for us to go and make disciples to all nations. The languages are similar. to, And even when we think about go to all nations here, he's telling them to go to Nineveh, to the Gentiles, that the language specifically of Gentiles and nations are the same. The Gentiles are all nations. They're those other than the Jewish people. We see a beautiful picture of God's mercy to the nations. We are to extend God's mercies to the nations. Now, I want to pause here, and we don't, I don't usually do this when I preach, when I pause, and I, I want us to spend time praying together. I want us to spend time praying for the nations together. Many of us, I'm going to give two plugs, two, or one plug, and kind of a transition to why I'm thinking about this. Is First, the plug is, if you're not in a community group, we want to encourage you to be in a community group. And I say that because many community groups this past weekend were part of something called Secret Church. And Secret Church, is, a, is the goal of it is it's pretty much, it felt like a, an all-night teaching where David Platt is teaching through a, a topic in Scripture. And the point of why it's called Secret Church is it, it's, it's supposed to mimic what it looks like in ways of when he would 
when he goes and pastors in persecuted churches and he would sit and teach for hours because it's the only time they may get teaching of God's word because they don't have God's word, they don't have teaching of God's word. And for us, it's, it's, it's great teaching, but it's also a time to focus on praying for the nations. And the topic for this time of teaching through the entire Bible was uh, prayer, fasting, and the pursuit of God. And one of the things that I'll, I'll be honest, that during that time, and tons of takeaways, but one of the convicting things that I took away as a pastor was, is I don't lead us to pray enough for the nations. And shame on me for that. Shame on me for that. And that's something that the Lord has convicted me of. And so I want us to take time that as we, just the happenstance that already planned Jonah, which is focused on a beautiful picture of a prophet going to the nations, that as we do that, I want us to spend time praying to the nations. We okay with that? Can we do that for a second? Okay. I'm going to ask some of y'all to pray. So I need y'all to start getting like out of your comfort zone and getting ready for a little bit. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot, but I'm going to invite you to pray. And so uh, just kind of get your mind ready for that because I know that that can throw some people off. But um, specifically this past weekend, we were praying for the Somali people of East Africa. And I just want to pray for them together as a church specifically. Let me tell you a little bit about the church in Somali, that 99.9% of people who are born and raised there never hear the gospel. I want you to think about that. That 99.9% of the people born and raised never hear the teaching of Jesus Christ. Never hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what we can do, and we're going to pray for a few things. I want us to pray um, for the health of the country, that the, the country itself is being restored. I want us, and I'll say some of these things back out to us. I want us to pray for the brothers and sisters in Christ in Somali, East Africa, that they are uh, strengthened, that they are encouraged amidst persecution. I want to pray for the ceasing of persecution. I want to pray for the advancement of God's kingdom and his church. I want to pray for all of those things. And so if you will, we just kind of bow your head and close your eyes as we just kind of go into a time of prayer together. And we're just going to rest here for a minute and we want to immediately apply. This truth number one, we are to extend God's grace to the nations. Then that means when we walk out these doors today that we are to love the nations across the street. We are to love the nations there, absolutely. And that means for some of us, I pray that the Lord would call us to go to the nations, literally, to, to travel to these places and go and give our lives for the sake of the gospel. But it starts with us praying. It starts with us praying. And so that, we're going to immediately apply this truth now as we pray together. And so if you would, if you just go into a state of just, just praying and calling out to God, and just would you all just take a moment and just pray for the church in Somalia and East Africa and pray that as many of them, to give their life to Jesus often means losing their physical life. This is the decision they are making. Do I worship Jesus? It will cost me my life. Would you just pray right now that they, as people hear the gospel, that they would see the worthiness of the cost and that they would give their life to Jesus. Take some time just to pray for the church. As you're doing that, keep praying. As you're just praying for them, I want to invite someone, if they would feel comfortable enough, if you'd just be willing to stand and just pray, asking that for people, for, their, for salvation in, 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 in Somalia, that you, that you pray for um, people to come to know Christ there in East Africa. Next, we would pray for two things that go hand in hand together. First, for safety of the church amidst persecution, but also boldness of the church amidst persecution. That, that the, as they are bold, 
And as they do continue to share, at the cost of their life at times, the risk of their life at least every time, would you pray, pray for safety? And so if someone, would you be willing to just uh, to lift a prayer of safety and boldness uh, for the persecuted church? It's considered because of the lack of um, amount of Christians there that it's considered uh, unreached, which means that less than 2% of uh, the nation is, considers themselves followers of Jesus. So it's unreached, but it's also considered unengaged, which means there's not a lot of efforts in order to church plant currently going on there. And so would somebody be willing to pray this idea when Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few? Would you pray that the Lord would send out workers into Somalia, they would send out workers into that country in East Africa uh, to, in order to preach the gospel and um, see people come to Christ. So both indigenous people, but also people from another country that may be sent there. Would somebody just be willing to pray that the Lord would send workers out into the harvest field? Father, we pray for the church in East Africa. Father, we pray for the church and the people in Somalia. Father, we pray, just as we've been praying, we do pray, Father, for safety and boldness. Father, we pray that you would put your hedge of protection around them. That, Father, as the enemy tries through persecution to stop the good news of the gospel, Father, I pray that you would empower and anoint your church, that you would protect your church, that they would be, that as they continue to give their lives for you, that the gospel would go forth. That through their lives, that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that nation would be transformed. And so, Father, we do pray for the welfare of that nation. Father, we pray for healing. Father, we pray for health. We pray that you would come and bring uh, safety and protection. And, Father, that you would just kind of ground that nation and often in turmoil and, and fighting over religious things and other things. Father, we just pray for the health of the nation. We pray for blessings of the nation. We pray that as you bless your church, that there be a blessing to the nation. And so we pray for the nation. We pray for the persecuted church. Father, we pray that you would send out workers into the harvest field. You pray that you would send people to uh, smiling, that you would call out people to go and give their lives away for the sake of your kingdom. That, Father, you would call out Jonah, so to speak, to go to Nineveh or to go to Somalia, that you would call out them to, to go to the country. And, Father, that you would continue to place in our hearts to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters because we are one church, we are one family, although we have never met them. We will in eternity. And, Father, so we pray for them now and we pray blessings. We pray for the advancement of your kingdom. And Father, we pray for your glory above all in Somalia. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Not only, truth number one, are we expect, expected to uh, extend God's mercy to the nations. We see from this that we are to, truth number two, we are to prioritize God and his kingdom. We are to prioritize God and his kingdom. What What happens? God gives a command to Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh and call out to them. And Jonah, and Jonah says, no, 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 no. I didn't even mean to talk about her. And she, my wife, for those who don't know, Jenna's my wife, and she's going to give me a hard time because now everybody's looking at her, and she's going to be like, you brought attention to me. Okay, Jonah, he calls out to Jonah, and Jonah says, no, no, no. So understand that we may not get this specifically reading this from the geography, but as you look at a map, that you've got uh, Israel, and you've got Samaria, and Jonah was supposed to go east. All right, he's supposed to go east, but instead he goes west. 
to what some would argue is the kind of the ends of the earth at this time. He, it's, it's as if Jonah said, you want me to go that direction, and in fact, I'm going to think of the furthest place away from that, and I'm going to go this direction. I want us to understand that Jonah didn't just disobey God's command. He didn't just say, no, I'm not going to go. But instead he said, I'm going to go even a far away. Like he's going, I'm in the opposite direction. I'm not just staying here. I'm going the opposite way. We see that it's such a, an indictment where he says that he ran from the presence of the Lord. He would rather go the opposite direction. Now, the question needs to be asked, why? We understand that Jonah didn't obey the command, but why did Jonah not obey the command? Now, the text doesn't give us that answer explicitly, but there are two things that we could potentially uh, boil it down to, and it may be a combination of these two things, or it may just be one of these two things, but it's what, these two things are connected. First, it could have just been for personal reasons. Personal in the sense of, hey, you want me to go there, that's probably going to cost me my life. I don't think so. Uh, the only way I can think to illustrate what God was asking him to do, it would have been like in 1941, Nazi Germany, to have a rabbi stand up in Berlin and preach against the Nazi regime. This is what God was asking Jonah to do. Literally, this is what God was asking Jonah to do. This is a, not an easy task. This isn't as simple as, hey, you were to go to preach the gospel and we're to go tell people about the good news of Jesus and all these things. No, no, no. You're asking a Jewish rabbi in Nazi Germany in Berlin to get up and preach about how long that might have lasted was literally the situation Jonah was in. And so personally, he's going, hey, for me to do that, God, means death. And so I'd rather just flee away. I'd rather just run the opposite direction. I'd rather get far away from you and not even have to worry about this. But at least I still have my life. What happened? He didn't prioritize God and his kingdom. It was maybe for personal reasons he chose not to. It's probably a combination of that and second, nationalistic reasons. What we do know from Second Kings about Jonah is Jonah prophesied the blessing of Israel. He prophesied that Israel would grow. He prophesied that the walls would extend, that the nation would grow. He was what? He was a nationalistic um, uh, a prophet. And for him to go to Nineveh, and if he were to preach that they repent, and they actually repent, that means they would be blessed, and that's the enemy. And if the enemy is blessed, that might mean that you get defeated. Does that make sense? So, it's, it's, so for him, he's going, no, 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 I want God's wrath to come on Nineveh, because if God's wrath comes on Nineveh, they'll no longer conquer us, which we find out they eventually do. And so Jonah's like, no, no, it's either us or them. I choose me. I don't want their blessing to be my death, but that's also a nationalistic reason. That was something God was asking him to do, to go and preach the gospel or go and preach mercy to the Ninevites, because if you do, they may repent. What if? So it wasn't, I personally believe, I don't think it was Jonah just simply, not just him going, hey, I don't believe in the message, but he, it's possible that he believes in the message so much that what if they actually did repent? It would, might mean the detriment of his nation. See that? So it's personal and nationalistic, which brings us to the truth number two. We are to prioritize God and his kingdom. This is what Jonah does, whether it's for personal reasons or nationalistic reasons. He chose himself and his empire or his Israelite kingdom over God and his kingdom. See the individualistic and the nationalistic terms there, that he chose himself and Israelite empire over God and his kingdom. It's a challenge to us 
And Pastor Andy's going to unpack this a little bit more as we see him working with the nations next week a little bit on this, re- this truth and reality. But we must be careful and we must remember that God's covenant is with His church and God's covenant is with His believers that yes, I believe we should be passionate for our, the nation we live in and we fight and we pray for those who fight for our country. We pray all those things. We pray for those who serve in our country. We pray for those in government. We pray for those in all that. And we are for our country. But listen to me. That Jonah here was challenged and I believe he chose his country over the kingdom of God. And we must be challenged. It's not that. It's not either or necessarily, but it's both and. But even in the both and, we must remember that we are ultimately, as First Peter tells us, we are exiles here on earth as believers. This is not our home, but our home is the kingdom of heaven with Christ and the kingdom of God. And we are challenged that as we extend mercy to other nations, we're able to do and fulfill that because we secondly prioritize God and his kingdom above all things. You see this? And then lastly, in this idea of we prioritizing his kingdom, Jonah didn't trust God's word. In this process, I'm sure Jonah was going, all right, God, listen to me. My friends, who are other prophets, who write other letters here that he is with, they're prophesying, because we do see a lot of prophecy against Assyria. We, he's going, you're, you're prophesying that you're going to condemn them, but you're telling me to go preach so that they repent so you don't condemn them. I'm just going to go, maybe, maybe I'm hearing wrong. I'm just going to trust those guys, and I'm just going to ignore it. And what, what happened is he couldn't think of a good reason to why God would do this, and so he said, hey, I'm out. Once again, he didn't prioritize God and his kingdom. Listen to me, there's going to be a lot of times where God's going to clearly call us to do something and it may not make sense. And let me challenge you that you may be filtering through your personal lens and maybe missing God's greater glory of what he's trying to do. But our call is to prioritize God and his kingdom even over our own uh, understanding at times. And so let's be faithful to his word. Truth number three, we are to be obedient to God's word. Real simple. We are to be obedient to God's word. What ultimately happens at the beginning of the story is Jonah runs the opposite direction. Jonah's disobedient. Jonah is disobedient. He was disobedient to God's command. The Jonah is going to teach us, this passage teaches us, that to be faithful to God's command no matter what, that no matter what it may cost us, it may Jonah cost the nation, because eventually Assyria um, does repent, Nineveh does repent, God blesses them, and then God uses them to judge Israel. The, the irony of this is that an Israelite prophet goes to Nineveh, tells them to repent, so God blesses them. They do repent, God does bless them, then they come and conquer Israel because they didn't do the very thing that Jonah called the Ninevites to do. See how we see a picture of oftentimes a Gentile nation giving rebuke to uh, God's covenant people? Here's a beautiful picture that they gotten, the people who did not know Yahweh heard God's call for repentance, repented, and then God used them to judge his covenant people. We'll unpack this more in the weeks to come. But the truth is, does it matter the reasons when God calls us to do something, we are to be obedient. This is a simple truth that Jonah will teach us. We are to be obedient. I want us to see through Jonah's disobedience that God disciplines him. It's important for us to get this. That when we are not obedient to God's commands, He will discipline us. Hebrews twelve six. For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves, and He chastises every son and daughter whom He receives. God disciplines us. This is a good thing. 
I discipline my kids because I love them, because I want them to be obedient to the things I tell them to do, and the things I tell them to do have a reason and a purpose behind them. But we see through the storm, through the fish, that God brings on judgment, or specifically more, uh, less detrimental, but discipline onto Jonah to bring him to obedience. When we are, to, we are called to be obedient to God's word, and when we're not, God will discipline us towards obedience. But I want us to see, not only will he discipline us towards obedience, but I want us to see our disobedience brings consequences not only on us, but upon other people. Look at verse 4 with me. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. Now we understand from reading all of Jonah that the storm was God's doing, and it was a rebuke and discipline on Jonah. But did it affect only Jonah? No. It, it affected these other sailors. It affected their ship. It affected their cargo. So Jonah's sin brought about consequences not only upon him, but it affected other people. Let us get that we are obedient to God's word, first and foremost, out of worship to God, but two, because we believe that God's commandments are what's best for us. And under, let us never forget that our disobedience brings about consequences on us and it affects other people. Look at Genesis chapter 3. This is one of the most basic truths of Christianity. Adam and Eve were disobedient. But their disobedience did not affect them only. It affected all of creation. Romans chapter 5 says this, that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, death entered the world. And death has spread to all men because all men have sinned. That Adam and Eve's sin has affected all of creation. And let us not think that our sin has any less effect on the people around us. We are called to be obedient to God's word. As we bring this thought to a close, I want to encourage us that all of Jonah is going to be a beautiful picture of Jesus. All of Scripture is a beautiful picture to Jesus. But Jonah, specifically, Jesus would refer to Jonah to represent his ministry. He would refer to Jonah in the fish to represent of Jesus' three days in the grave. That Jonah is a beautiful picture of God's love for the nations, of his sacrifice for the nations, of his mercy and grace for the nations, for all people. And I close with thinking about the Ninevites. Why them? Why at this time, why them? I find it interesting that God takes a very nationalistic prophet to go to a very evil country that is doing very evil things to Israel to preach mercy, grace, and repentance. Would we hear this truth today? That the Ninevites, extremely evil, extremely broken, extremely hateful to the things of God, God still loves. And God sends his mercy. And God sends his grace. If you've ever believed the lie that God cannot love you because of whatever reason, would you hear me say today that it's a lie? It's a lie straight from the pit of hell that God loves you so much that his whole record of scripture, not just in the story of Jonah, but the whole story of this is a picture of how God is redeeming us in the same way that Jonah leaves, is called, excuse me, is called to leave his country, a place of safety and refuge for him, where God has made a covenant with them to step out of that, to go to what would be to him the most evil place on earth to preach God's mercy. In the same way, Christ stepped out of a place of safety and refuge and glory. He stepped out and he came to his creation to show grace and mercy. That's John 1 says that he clothed himself in humanity. 
and he came and lived with us to what? Tell us to repent. That yes, in our sin, there is condemnation, there is wrath, but if we hear the message of repentance, if we hear the message of God's mercy and grace and we turn to him, we do repent of our sin and turn to him, awaits for us is mercy and grace. Would we see that as we study Jonah, that it is a very real story that we can learn from, but it also is a lens into the story of Jesus and how he has left all to come to an evil place, a place that would eventually crucify him, that would eventually kill him in order to show us his great love for us. Today, if you're in here, would you walk away with the truth that God loves you? Such a simple truth. But let us never lose all of this truth that God loves us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your love. Jesus, we thank you that you have indeed, or you did indeed, step out of your home, so to speak, that, that your place of heaven, that, you, that Philippians 2 says you, that you stepped out of your glory, never losing your deity, but you stepped out of your glory, you emptied yourself to come to us, to even die on the cross for us, to show your great love for us. And when we look at the story of, of Jonah and your call to Jonah, we can learn a lot of things, but one of the core things that we learn is that you have a love for the nations. And that where Jonah was the disobedient prophet, Jesus was the obedient Savior. And that he came to us and that he loved us. So Jesus, we thank you for that. Let us see that no matter what is in our heart, no matter how evil it is, because Jeremiah says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked and evil above all things, that that is true, but that does not mean that you don't love us, and that does not mean that there isn't grace and mercy for us. And so today, person listening to this and to myself, would we repent and turn to Jesus? Would we hear his cry for repentance and mercy? Would you turn to him and rest in his grace today? Rest in his mercy today? Oh, it's so good. Would you hear a loving father with arms open wide inviting you to come and he'll wrap you up in his love and his mercy? Would you turn to Jesus today as Lord and Savior? If you've never given your life to Jesus, Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Would you turn to Jesus? Would you confess him as Lord and Savior? Would you be saved today? If you're in here and you've never given your life to Christ and you just maybe have questions and want to find out more about what this gospel message, would you find me after service? And I'd love to share with you more. But at this time, Jesus, we worship you. We cry out to you. We exalt you. Church family, would you stand with me as we worship the King together?